You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome, animal lovers everywhere, to episode 67 of Awesome Animal Advocates on the Pet Life Radio Network. I'm Keith Sanderson, host and creator of Awesome Animal Advocates, the program where you will meet the doers, the leaders, the people who are making a difference for animals in your neighborhoods, counties, and states, and around the world. You will learn how these amazing people became involved in doing what they are doing, why they spend time, money, and long hours each day fighting to save the lives of and are improving the living conditions of companion or domestic or wild animals and more. Today's guest is Scott Blaze, CEO and board president of Global Sanctuary for Elephants. For more than 25 years, Scott has worked with and for captive elephants. In 1995, he co-founded the Elephant Sanctuary located in Tennessee. It's the nation's largest sanctuary dedicated exclusively to the rescue and recovery of captive elephants. In 2013, Scott and his wife, Kat, who is a former lead caregiver and veterinary liaison for Tennessee Elephant Sanctuary, joined with renowned elephant experts Dr. Joyce Poole and Peter Grinelli of Elephant Voices to form Global Sanctuary for Elephants, which is a nonprofit dedicated to the development of new sanctuaries for captive elephants worldwide. We'll meet Scott in a moment and learn what spurred him to become an advocate for captive elephants and the exciting work he is doing today. But first, a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Do you know that moment when your dirty dog's about to jump in your nice, clean car? You can avoid all the cleanup and mess with a 4K9 seat cover. 4K9s makes heavy-duty seat covers and cargo liners that will blend seamlessly with the interior of your vehicle. You can find us at 4K9s.com. That's the number 4, K-N-I-N-E-S.com or on Amazon.com. 4K9s makes nothing but the best for your best friend. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Awesome Animal Advocates. I'm your host, Keith Sanderson. And meet our guest, Scott Blaze, CEO and board president of Global Sanctuary for Elephants. Welcome, Scott. Thank you for being with us today. Good morning, Keith, and thank you. It's an honor to be here and uh, happy to share a little bit more about our work and uh, the exciting and dynamic life of captive elephants. Well, you know, I'm really interested in, in learning that. And one of the things, Scott, when I read your biography, you said you, you at 15 you were training elephants and then you realize the brutality and cruelty and training them and that's when you sort of really became involved in working with and caring for captive elephants. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, absolutely. I know how odd it sounds to say that you started working with elephants at 15 and people have all kinds of weird presumptions that jumped to their head. I was a normal kid. I got a summertime job at a safari park in Canada when I was 13 years old and just cutting grass and parking cars and picking up garbage and I started talking to the elephant trainers and they eventually offered me a job and it's just one of those fateful things in life where it just clicked. It just worked. I 
adored being around the elephants. They resonated with me. Through those years, it was an incredible opportunity to learn a tremendous amount about elephants. We had a captive breeding program. We had elephants coming and going from zoos and circuses, sometimes just to stay there for a short time, sometimes to uh, for a part of the breeding program. So I got a vast amount of experience in multiple aspects of the captive elephant world with zoos and circuses. This was positive in that it gave me a really broad-based foundation as, at a young age. But the negative side was this was a dominant style of management. So there was a lot of abuse, intimidation, a lot of force and brutality. And uh, it didn't take that long for me at a young age to start saying, why are we doing this? This isn't the way we should be managing animals. Uh, it's not respectful. It's not kind. It's, it's not healthy. And we started looking for an alternative. Eventually, this led to the development of the Elephant Sanctuary in Tennessee. Well, you know, that's interesting because I, I recall as a kid going to the circus and seeing the elephants and just supposing that uh, that they were happy and then um, seeing them in other venues. But do you believe circuses and other entertainment venues should uh, be banned from having performing elephants? Oh, without a doubt. Elephants need to stop performing. Uh, and there's a couple of reasons for this. One is, of course, the brutality that is required, the dominance that is necessary to instill the, the consistent behaviors, the cooperation. You can do a phenomenal amount with elephants with cooperation, with positive reinforcement, but it's not going to be the grueling schedule, the barbaric tricks. <laughs> it's going to be simple cooperation for medical needs, things that they require, and they seem to understand this quite clearly when you ask them to do something that they need versus ask them to do something that you want just for the sake of wanting it. And to do the what we want actually requires, a, again, a significant amount of brutality. And it's impossible to convey the degree of brutality that exists. It's a common question of how can you get an elephant to do what he doesn't want to do. I would assume that's even maybe getting into whatever carrier is transporting them from uh, location to location. I mean... Uh, probably doesn't even want to get into that, would he? You know, it's not always the case. You know, a lot of times they, they don't necessarily mind. Sometimes they almost look forward to a little bit different scenario. But the reality is they know they have no choice ultimately. You know, they know that they, be, they are forced to become resigned because of the depth of brutality, because of the, the group beatings that these elephants endure from humans. They are forced to resign to this life. So even if they want to hold back, even if they want to say no, they know they ultimately don't have a, a strong say in the matter. But the other reason we need to get elephants off the road is for our society. You know, we need to stop looking at animals as entertainment in general, whether it be elephant horses or whatever it is. We have to start looking at them as having value just for who they are. And until we can ban performing animals and really move forward and appreciate their core values, their core being, our society is never going to fully advance. That's interesting because, at least me personally, I would rather observe an animal maybe just a brief few seconds in nature. Like the other day, we were up along the uh, Teleco River here in Tennessee, and we briefly viewed a couple of otters just playing, you know, out in the wild and just enjoying themselves. And that few minutes was way more than I would ever get out of seeing an otter, you know, captive in some little container someplace or, you know, some animal, other wild animal, otter-like animal being used in an act. So, uh, yeah, I can understand why you're saying that. Now, you co-founded the nation's largest elephant sanctuary, the Tennessee Elephant Sanctuary, in 1995. And can you tell us a bit about how you founded it and about the sanctuary? Sure, absolutely. 
I mean, exactly the story you just talked about is part of the reason why we founded it. When we actually were working with the Nashville Zoo, it was in a different location than it is right now, and we had hoped to develop something with them, something more expansive. They had about 35 acres of land, and our goal there was to expand the concept of elephant exhibits and give elephants more space. And we thought that the public would really appreciate this, to see it in a much more natural behavior. And what really drove this home was while we were there, we were available to answer questions to the public. And the first two questions when the elephant was in the exhibit was, can we ride her and does she do tricks? <laughs> and it's like, this is her value. We took the same elephant at the same zoo and allowed her to graze in a picnic area. And we had asked the public just to stay on the sidewalk. And the number one comment was, we didn't know elephants ate grass. And that was the trigger for us. It's like, what are we doing? What are we really teaching people? Not only what are we doing to elephants, but what are we contributing to society by continuing to have these animals available to the public to learn their values to entertain? No, we have to teach people the value of who they are and what they truly are. So that's what really the, one of the final triggers is when the zoo decided they didn't want to put the money into it because it was a new concept. And during that same summer is when Tyke the Elephant killed a trainer in Honolulu. And there's a new movie out about Tyke and her history. And then she was ran out in the streets and was brutally gunned down. And that's when we said, we have to do this. We have to find a way. Uh, we have to create a space where elephants can have a new life where these elephants that don't fit into the mold of typical captivity of zoos and circuses, where they have somewhere to go. Elephants out of social issues, aggressive issues. And we started with 100 acres in Tennessee. We got a loan for the property and we just took a chance. We tried to get other people to help us and everyone said, great idea, but how's it going to be funded for the long term? And we honestly didn't know, but we did know that we needed to take a chance on a healthy future for these elephants. How large is the sanctuary? It started off, the sanctuary in Tennessee started off at uh, about 100 acres, 112 acres, and now it's 2,700 acres. We grew because of the elephants. We didn't know what to expect when you started the sanctuary. Were they going to become more rogue? Were they going to become more wild without dominance? Were they going to truly be able to adapt to a more social life again? Eventually, what we saw is that they did adapt. They adapt in most cases seamlessly. Elephants with horrific past just completely morphed and evolved into completely new beings. And what we saw was once they started to recover, they started to go back to a more migratory nature. And when we first started the sanctuary, we said, okay, we probably need about 10 acres per elephant to sustain their dietary need, which is about right. But we realized that it doesn't matter if it's one elephant or 10 elephants, they need the same amount of space because the space required is about the psychological stimulation more than it is the food. And they need substantially more space for this desire to meet this need than they do to meet their dietary needs. I think one of the things many of us forget is that elephants are probably the uh, one of the most, if not the most, intelligent of all social animals as far as those that graze. And a lot of times they lose that social aspect when they're in captivity. That can be really, I imagine, really uh, a frightful experience for them and very cruel. Well, they become a shell of their existence. They truly do. And there's no way to underestimate, to, to fully define this, I guess, because they become a true fraction of who they should be. And they're labeled as such in captivity. Elephants that haven't had social experience or had the opportunity, the autonomy and the protection, they're labeled as antisocial because they don't get along with their one or two other companions. 
And when the same elephant that is labeled as antisocial is in an environment where they get to choose their companions, when they have the protection to walk away from a challenging situation and just seek a little solitude, it allows them more comfort and more security to then unfold into a social animal. But you have to have the nurturing autonomy protection that we all need, that all, all social sentient beings need in order to be a truly social being. Same thing with dogs or cats, you know, if you, or, dog, or humans. If they're not properly socialized, if they don't have the protection security, they're going to become reclusive. And that's what happens to these elephants. And I don't know that you can say it's fearful for them. I think it's an adaptation to their environment. And it's just nature making the best out of a bad situation. And they don't always realize how bad it was until they see how good it can be. And that's when you see the remarkable journey. It's sort of like they just didn't realize what they missed until they were exposed to a different life. In many cases, yes, because it becomes about survival. <clears throat> You not only provided sanctuary, but you actually went out and rescued elephants. Is that right? Yeah, you know, the term rescue is widely used for any animal that comes to a better situation in most cases. And we had elephants to date. The Elephant Sanctuary in Tennessee accepted 24 elephants. They came from every facet of captivity with privately owned from zoos and circuses. And for a gamut of reasons, some were rather ill, some were aggressive, confiscated. Some were from progressive zoos saying, you know, we realize we can't properly care for these elephants in captivity. We need to do more for them. And our space, no matter how much money we put into it, is going to still be too limited. So these zoos have made decisions to move their elephants to sanctuaries as well. Some of the rescues, if you were confiscations, were probably the biggest rescues, where we were called essentially with little notice saying elephants needed to come out of really bad situations. And you know, irrelevant of where they came from, whether it be a, a planned process over a number of years or a short-term rescue, Everyone is miraculous all on its own. Everyone has a journey and a story and, a, and it's highs and lows. You know, sometimes elephants go through struggles when they arrive. But, you know, when they come there, it's just there's almost no words to describe, you know, the, the difference that it makes in these lives. Did you also uh, have African elephants or are they primarily Indian elephants? You know, we started with just Asian elephants, and we were going to remain very species-specific, and we were also going to start be with just female elephants because they are a matriarchal, matriarchal society. And we also know that these elephants were coming in already very physically and emotionally compromised, so we didn't want to encourage breeding and procreation on an already already compromised elephant. Plus, we're all our money and focus could also be going towards raising elephants versus rescuing more, and we wanted to keep our doors open to rescue and receive as many elephants as possible. Over time, as we evolved and we started growing and expanding our property, we realized there was an opportunity to take African elephants as well. And we were contacted by two individuals asking us to please take their elephants, their African elephants. And that's what kind of triggered us to, to consider this possibility. And at this point, they've taken three African elephants and 21 Asian elephants. Now, uh, do they co-mingle? Uh, no, they don't. They are in separate facilities. They have mingled across a, a common barrier on occasion. But when the African elephants first saw Asian elephants, they thought they were aliens from another planet. And they ran away from the fence as fast as possible. But this, is part of the, this partly defines the, the difference between African and Asian elephants. Asian elephants are a little bit more passive, a little bit more introspective, and African elephants tend to be a little bit more reactionary, a little bit more high energy. They can commingle, they can coexist, but oftentimes in a captive environment, it causes compromise for both. More so for the Asian elephants because they're not accustomed to this high energy physical play. And oftentimes that can be perceived by, for an Asian elephant, that can be perceived as aggression. Uh, so you have an African elephant saying, hey, I want to play, and the Asian saying, hey, I don't want to fight. You know, so even though they can get along, just their nature can cause conflict. 
So we wanted to allow them to be who they are to the fullest degree possible, and the best way to do that is to keep them as separate herd environments. We did have two Asian elephants that grew up with African elephants in zoos, and both arrived with this very physical nature, and both were actually aggressive to some of the other elephants when they arrived, and actually aggressive to each other for quite a long time, because they brought a different mentality into the Asian herd than most, most of the Asians were accustomed to. So it's almost like they had a different culture than their, uh, the other Asian elephants. It is a completely different culture. It's a completely different way of being. Their dietary needs are a little bit different. We jokingly said there's, you know, the, the similarities are four legs in a trunk, but it's not too far off. <laughs> you know, yeah. They're all dynamic. They're all in- incredibly intelligent. They're all emotionally sensitive. So there's a lot of similarities that way. But in terms of the culture of both species, there's a lot of differences between them. Wow, that's just amazing because, uh, you know, I've seen them both, as most people have, but never really got an opportunity to hear what the differences were. Now, hey, Scott, you left Tennessee Elephant Sanctuary in 2011, and what caused you to make the decision, and what did you do for the next few years? (laughs) It was probably the most difficult decision I ever made in my life was to step away, but the reality is there comes a time, I think, in all of our lives where we realize that it's time to make a change. This is all I had done. From the time I was 16, 15 years old, I had worked with elephants from the time I was 22 uh, is when we started the sanctuary. And my whole life had been, you know, basically 24-7 living this life of sanctuary. And it was remarkable. It was phenomenal life, completely blessed in so many ways. But there was changes that were happening in the sanctuary and the new leadership and also the core staff that we had there at the time. It seemed like an opportunity for me to move on and see what was going to be the next phase. Initially, we slowed down for a little while. I wanted to get a quote-unquote normal job. (laughs) We actually spent some time with family. And within the first, I think, three months, two months after leaving, we actually got a call right away saying, will you come down and rescue an elephant from Chile? It was the last circus elephant in Chile. And they had already tried to move her two times away from the circus. But the circus was not willing to help them move her at all. And the people that were trying to move her were not skilled in doing so. Uh, So we actually got a phone call on, I think, the day before Christmas saying, we expect to get a call from the judge with little notice that we can move Ramba. And indeed, two days after Christmas, they got a call saying, we have 10 days to move Ramba. And they said, can you come move her out of the circus? We have a temporary facility for her at a small safari park. And this was going to be a transitional place for her where she could be assessed before moving to the elephant sanctuary in Tennessee. So we actually went down and this kind of threw us right back into the elephant world and we were supposed to have multiple days and and a lot of support and we got there and we had basically one day to move her and not a lot of support. (laughs) It was actually a hostile environment and we were surrounded by, uh, I think uh, at the end of the day we had almost 25 police officers because the circus tried to attack us and they said you have to move her today and we were actually able to move this remarkable elephant out of the circus. She remains at the safari park in a temporary facility. It's actually better than a lot of elephants. She was not able to come to the sanctuary in Tennessee for a couple of reasons, but we hope for her to be one of the first elephants that comes to Brazil. But after this experience with Ramba, we started immediately talking to others about, you know, the scenario with captive elephants and what we need to do for captive elephants around the world. And we did settle into a small town for a while, but it was a a wonderful part-time job. I mean, it wasn't a wonderful job, but it was a kind of a part-time scenario in our life where 
even though I was at work, we were still thinking elephants all the time and quickly realized that we have too much to offer to the world of captive elephants. And that's kind of what led us to starting the, the new organization. Wow, that, what a story. And uh, we need to take a break right now, Scott. And all you listening, stay with us because when we return, Scott will share us with the pioneering work Global Sanctuary for Elephants is undertaking in Brazil. And uh, we'll be right back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Calling all pet product manufacturers and pet experts. Let the public relations and marketing professionals at Whitegate PR get you featured in the news. I'm Dana Humphrey at Whitegate PR, and we have been specializing in pet product PR for over 10 years and can get your brand featured in the media from TV to radio to print to blogs. You can find out more at www.whitegatepr.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Awesome Animal Advocates. I'm your host, Keith Sanderson, and our guest is Scott Blaze, CEO and co-founder of Global Sanctuary for Elephants. And Scott is actually... Um, talking to us from brazil where he's located and it was what 2013 you were involved in founding global sanctuary for elephants what's the missionary of your organization scott yeah you know global sanctuary for elephants is a relatively new nonprofit organization and it's designed to help establish and develop and sustain elephant sanctuaries internationally globally our society is changing there are progressive legislation that is being enacted around the world that is putting an end to performing elephants. Some zoos are closing the doors and many moors are being pushed to close their doors. But there's no alternative for these elephants. Where are they going to go? And we need more sanctuaries. We need healthy alternatives. The most difficult time when establishing the sanctuaries is the pivotal first four, three to five years. It's a time when you don't have a good reputation. It's a time when you don't have a lot of public understanding, especially in a new a new country. And you have to you need both of those in order to develop the financial support. It's also time for board of directors starting these organizations that have the greatest amount of fear. You have to invest the most amount of money and there's no guarantee, just like we said and we had in Tennessee, there's no guarantee that what's going to happen in two years or five years or what support's going to come down the road. And this is a scenario where many projects stagnate. We have some colleagues in Europe that are working on a sanctuary, and they've been working to get it started for almost six years. And it, we said we have an opportunity 
not only do we have the knowledge, we have a good reputation for, you know, not only our work with elephants, but also with with trust from donors. They understand, you know, our dedication to their dollar and to the elephant programs. But also we have the belief and the trust of what will come, what will evolve, because we had been there before. And we can bring all these elements together combined with knowledge uh, from, uh, we work with Joyce Poole, who has been working with elephants in the wild for over 40 years. She's a wealth of knowledge. And our experience combined with several other advocates came together to say, let's develop this organization so we can help get sanctuaries off the ground. Whereabouts in Brazil, do you ha- actually have a physical sanctuary there or are you j- in the process of getting the property or just what's happening now? A little bit of both. <laughs> We've been in Brazil for about a year. We're in uh, more or less uh, central Brazil. We're in the state of Mato Grosso and M-A-T-O space G-R-O-S-S-O. And we're close to the capital city of Cuiaba, Q-U-I-A-B-A. That's the state capital of Mato Grosso. And we do have property. We have yet to finalize the first full payment, but we have secured land with an incredible owner. It's 2,800 acres of just absolutely phenomenal land. And one of the differences between here and when we started Sanctuary in Tennessee is we're starting big right away because we know how fast the sanctuary will evolve. So we've secured this incredible 2,800-acre property in rolling hills, springs, in a climate that is ideal. In Tennessee, we needed barns, elaborate barns for elephants in the wintertime. Here, all we need is open-sided, you know, structures that can protect us from the sun and the rain that can be medical care centers. But the elephants never have to be closed in a barn at any day during the year because the weather and the climate is absolutely perfect, ideal. And so we haven't started moving on to the property yet. We're just in these initial stages of gathering more support. And we're start, about to start a funding campaign, a crowdfunding campaign to help us get the funding to kick uh, the development in process. With the funding in place, uh, we should be able to accept elephants within the first three to six months. And we actually have about six to ten elephants that could come within the first year alone. Wow, that's amazing. Now, will this serve just Brazil or all of South America? It's going to serve all of South America and possibly beyond. Uh, We've already been approached about some of the elephants in Mexico. We've just been asked about an elephant in Pakistan. And we've also been asked about elephants in Europe. So this this opens up a world of possibilities. It's much more difficult to get elephants imported into the United States than it's going to be to get elephants imported into Brazil. And when I say imported, imported from captive scenarios. We will not be bringing elephants from the wild. These are elephants that have already been compromised and traumatized in captivity. And we will be bringing them into a, a healthier sanctuary. I suppose that's important for people to understand because I think it'd probably be highly unlikely that these elephants could ever survive on their own in the wild. Is that right? That's why they need the sanctuaries? The reality, and it, you know, we're dealing with a complex species. We're dealing with an incredibly complex species, as they are in the wild. And this is even further compromised or further complex, uh, increases of further complexity because of the, the damage caused by captivity and the complexity of, of trauma. So it's a, it's a really difficult scenario. The reality is there's a good probability you could rehabilitate some of these elephants to return into a wild space. However, there's a significant portion of them that will always need medical care because of the damage that has been done, because of the physical compromise that has been caused. Emotionally, I believe they could evolve and could grow enough to to develop their own little herd in a wild setting. Tragically, the wild doesn't exist anymore. Yes, there are phenomenal places in the wild that still exist, but there's not an opportunity for us to take wild spaces and use them for captive elephants. We have to preserve these wild spaces for the wild populations, the limited wild populations that remain. 
And that has to be our goal in these wild habitats, is to preserve these wild habitats for wild populations first and foremost. We can manage elephants quite well in captivity. We can manage them quite well in a sanctuary. And this is the best case scenario. We've looked at sanctuary as a halfway house with possibly introducing them into a semi-wild habitat. But when you look at the whole picture again, it's clear that the best use of finances, the best use of the land, the best consideration for all facets is to have sanctuary for captive elephants and really work to preserve these wild populations on their own. Scott, I want to diverse for a moment uh, before I get to ask you. I ask all my guests this question, and that question is, some people ask how you can spend time, money, and resources advocating and protecting animals when there is so much human misery in the world. What do you say to uh, critics who, who might say that to you? Oh, this is a great question, uh, one that we've been asked on many occasions. And, you know, the reality is that we have responsibility for all facets of our world. We have a responsibility to the damage that we've done. We have a responsibility to live in a world that is mutually protective and mutually respectful of every facet of our world. And that involves elephants. We are the ones that have brought them here and caused the compromise. And we have to be the ones that give back. We have to be the ones that repair the damage that we've caused. I also believe that there is no limit to the amount of resources available for creating our world into a better place. There's more than enough money to go around to help people, animals, dog, cats, whatever it may be. There's more than enough money in our world. We have to just focus it in the right directions. And we all have a role in our world. My role, what I've fallen into, is to help elephants. Other people help dogs. Other people help humans. We all have responsibility. We all have a purpose. And this is where I can make the most positive difference for a better tomorrow. Well, that's a great answer because the bottom line is if we all do something then good things will happen. And that's a fantastic answer. Now, is there a website that can provide us more information about Global Sanctuary for Elephants? Yes, absolutely. It's uh, quite simple, uh, www.globalelephants.org. And from there, you can get to our Facebook page and Twitter pages and uh, Instagram. And uh, it's going to be exciting few months to come with uh, our new development and, and hopefully uh, arrival of elephants quite soon. There's a huge need here in South America. And actually, in all of South America, they are setting a global trend. Five countries have already banned performing elephants. Brazil is about to do the same. Uruguay is about to do the same as well. And soon, this is going to be a, an entire continent that has banned performing animals, performing elephants. And they also have a progressive solution as well with the, the development of Elephant Sanctuary Brazil. So exciting days, exciting time, and we're really looking forward to giving back to some of these elephants. You know, uh, it's interesting you mentioned that because we've had Tim Phillips and Jan Kramer on as guests a couple times from Animal Defenders International. And they've been doing similar work as far as circus lions and big cats and other animals are concerned. And it's really, really great to see people working so hard to take animals that have been leading sometimes incredibly uh, cruel lives and, and giving them another chance. And now on the website, can I learn more about how I might be able to volunteer or donate to your organization? Yes, absolutely. There's a link at the top of the page of uh, how you can help, and there's obviously multiple ways. A lot of times we have people say, I don't have any money to give. What can I do? There's always something to do, and the Internet is a perfect opportunity to just share. You know, share the Facebook post, share the information, and you never know who that's going to reach out to. And that could possibly make a substantial difference for any organization. And for as far as volunteering, 
We don't have a lot of volunteer projects at this point, but that's going to evolve pretty soon. As soon as we move on to the property, uh, that's going to create different alternatives. Not always easy to get into Brazil from outside of the United States. There's a pretty extensive visa process, but we will help people with that too as we develop our volunteer programs. And you mentioned a crowdfund program is starting soon. Be sure to let me know when it starts, and I'll put that on my Facebook. That can give you a help, too. So. Oh, absolutely. It's a huge help. It, you know, the, the reality with the main purpose of crowdfunding campaigns is exposure. It's a lot of people doing a little bit, and it doesn't take that much. And, you know, we talked about it earlier with everyone doing their part. It's amazing the difference a few bucks can make. And, you know, $5, $10, $15, whatever it is, it's unbelievable the difference that it can make when it all comes together. In Tennessee, we actually rescued one elephant basically on $2 donations. People from, you know, a bunch of people donating 2 to $5, you know, allowed us to rescue an elephant. And well, it's everyone coming together it really makes a, makes a substantial difference. That is a great story. And it's something I think we all should remember because many times I'll say, gee... You know, I wish I could help, but what's my five or 10 or 20 bucks going to do? Forgetting that maybe there's thousands of other people sitting there saying the same thing. And uh, Scott, you know, this has been really interesting and, and we've run out of time. And I want to thank you for taking the time to join us. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity to share a little bit about what we're doing and, and hopefully, up, hopefully opening up more eyes and minds and hearts to, to helping captive elephants. It's really an amazing story, and I hope that uh, we can have you on again sometime in the future and you can bring us up to date on your progress in Brazil. Well, it would be uh, my pleasure to do so. And with the exciting developments here, let's not wait too long. It's going to be an exciting couple months. Okay, that sounds good. I mean, if it's new and you have news, don't hesitate to get back to me. Just send me an email and say, hey, we've got 8 million elephants and uh, <laughs> everything's going cool. And you got to really catch up with us here because uh, this is, I think, you know, the kind of thing that is so interesting. And, and I know to our audience, it's much more interesting than just seeing or hearing about elephants standing on each other in a circus ring or something. We could spend an episode on and multiple facets of each elephant life. You know, just talking about the social dynamics, there's so much to understand and, and learn about them. So, again, we welcome the opportunity to share, and we'll definitely keep you up to date. Well, that's great, because, Scott, you're certainly optimistic and an inspirational example of how animal advocates are helping animals and improving or saving their lives. I'm sure I speak for every one of our listeners when I say keep up the good work, Scott. Thank you so much. We will do what we can. Thank you for sharing with us the work that you and your colleagues are doing at Global Sanctuary for Elephants. And I want to thank Mark Winter, executive producer and co-founder of Pet Life Radio, and the sponsors who make this program possible. Please join us for each and every episode of Awesome Animal Advocates, and be sure to tell your friends about us. And if you know of an individual or organization who should be featured on Awesome Animal Advocates, just mail me at keith at maxapooch.com. That's Keith, K-E-I-T-H, at maxapooch.com. Remember, until we meet again, when you do a good thing for animals, you help to make the world a better place for humans and animals. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.